Why ever would we use the word "why ever"? Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and other cool stuff. This week, we look at the fascinating ever words and how to pronounce Latin abbreviations such as "at all." Here's a listener question. Hello, Grammar Girl. My name is Will. I'm a relatively new listener from Seattle. Love your work. And I have a question about a particular word you said in your episode about killer bunnies in medieval manuscripts. You said the phrase "why ever they were drawn." Now this got me thinking about the six W's of storytelling that we all learn: who, what, when, where, why, and how. Five of these words are often combined with "ever" to form compound words: whoever, whatever, whenever, wherever, and however. But the sixth word of this form, why ever, is not common. In fact, I can't remember ever hearing or reading it before that episode of your podcast, even though it's a very useful word. So my questions to you are: Have you always used the word why ever? Do you know why it's less common than the other five similar words? And is it more accepted in some dialects of English than others? Thank you, and have a great day. Thanks for the call, Will. For some background, let's first talk about the ever words we use more often: wherever, however, whenever, and so on. These words can have other meanings too, but in general, adding the ever suffix adds an "it doesn't matter" meaning. For example, I could say "put the cupcakes where you want," but if I say "put the cupcakes wherever you want." It has more of a sense of it doesn't really matter where. Put them here. Put them there. Put them. Put them anywhere. If instead of decorate the envelope how you want, I say decorate the envelope however you want, it has more of a sense that it really doesn't matter how you do it. Knock yourself out. Same thing with whenever. Let me know whenever you're ready. Just feels less demanding than let me know when you're ready. Whenever, no rush. It doesn't matter. These ever words can also have a more intense feeling and aren't always interchangeable with the base word without the suffix. For example, here's a sentence with wherever in which you just can't substitute where. Wherever I put that painting, it still feels like the eyes are looking at me. In this case, wherever means something like no matter where. However hard Squiggly tried, he couldn't reach the chocolate on the top shelf. Means no matter how Squiggly tried. Whenever I see that dog, I just have to smile. Means every single time I see that dog, I have to smile. It's emphatic. According to Edam Online, people started adding the ever suffix to words in late Old English to create this generalizing or intensifying effect. Why ever is a little different, though. First, as you noticed, we don't use it very much. Dictionary.com and the Online American Heritage Dictionary don't even list it, although it is there in three other dictionaries I checked. And second, it doesn't have that "it doesn't matter" feeling. It does, however, do the intensifying thing. Collins Dictionary calls it quote an emphatic form of "why" used in questions unquote. As in, why ever not? 
For example, if you tell me you went to the Ghirardelli store in San Francisco, but you didn't buy any chocolate, if I'm curious, I'd probably ask, why not? But if I'm astonished or incredulous, I might ask more emphatically, why ever not? It means something more like, why on earth not? Collins also notes that it's a low-frequency word, and it has a tag on the entry that says, quote, in British English, unquote. And I noticed that in my last example, why ever not had a British feel to it for me. It sounded like something I'd hear in Downton Abbey or something like that. Mary isn't coming down to breakfast? Why ever not? Well, a Google Ngram search confirms that why ever seems to be more common in books categorized as British English. And I will say that why ever actually can be used in that it doesn't matter way, but it looks as if it's exceedingly rare. It wouldn't be wrong to say something like, I don't care why he does it. If he brings us chocolate, he can do it why ever he wants. But it would probably sound weird to a lot of people. And that takes us back to Will's question. Why did Samantha write why ever they were drawn about the killer bunnies in medieval manuscripts? Well, I asked her, and she doesn't know. She said she just spontaneously used it while she was writing, and she remembers having a fleeting thought that it was a bit out of the ordinary or non-standard, but that's about it. Based on what I found, I wondered if she watches a lot of British TV shows, and she said she does, so that very well could be the reason why ever was floating around in her mind. And then there were a couple of other fun and interesting things I came across in my research that I want to share. The word ever itself is very old, going all the way back to Old English, where it looks like it originally meant throughout all time. But the OED says it's been mostly replaced in that use by forever, which, if you haven't noticed before, has two parts, for, ever, forever, forever. And perhaps less obviously, the word never also comes from that use of ever. There's an obsolete adverb, ne, N-E, that was a simple negative that got tacked onto the word ever to give the meaning of not ever, ne, ever, never. Finally, I had fun reading about the elaborate and archaic word whithersoever. Whither is an archaic form of the word where. It's a place you are going, so someone might have asked, whither are we going? And whithersoever is an emphatic form of that. And there appears to be a song called I Don Quixote that some people remember from the 1972 movie Man of La Mancha with the lines, And the wild winds of fortune will carry me onward whithersoever they blow. So thank you for the question, Will, which gave me the chance to learn all about these fascinating and sometimes archaic ever words. Next, I have another listener question. Hi, Mion. I have a question regarding whether one should spell out or actually um, just read out, if that makes sense, uh, things like abbreviations such as et out. I just heard someone reference to a research paper, and he mentioned that it was written by so-and-so at out. So should we have said so-and-so and others, or is it the norm um, and the 
um, excitation to actually verbalize just at all as it. Thank you. Thank you. As a former scientist and science writer, I heard et al. a lot in scientific talks at conferences, and people always just said the abbreviation in a previous study by Smith et al. and so on. And just because I know people will probably ask, I've always said and heard it as et al., but dictionaries list that pronunciation and et al., so it seems like both are correct. So for most Latin abbreviations in English, like et al., which you correctly note means and others, we don't say the whole thing. We say the abbreviation that we write as if it were a word, as an acronym. Another one like that you'll find in citations is IBID, which is an abbreviation for the Latin word ibidum, which means in the same place. You can use it in footnotes or citations to say that the reference is the same as the one that came before it, so you don't have to write out the whole thing again. And people usually pronounce that as ibid, not ibidum. And sometimes we spell the abbreviations as initialisms. For example, when we use AM and PM for the time, we say AM and PM. We don't say AM and PM. And we don't say the full phrases, ante meridium and post meridium, which mean before noon and afternoon. Same with IE and EG. But occasionally we do say the whole word, like with etc. We write ETC, but we don't say it ECT or ETC. Maybe because that's just harder to say. But we also typically say circa when we see the abbreviation C before a year, which means around, about, or approximately in Latin, circa 1400. And it would be just as easy to say C as it would be to say circa, so I don't think the ease of pronunciation is actually the factor here. The bottom line is that I'm not aware of any rules for pronouncing Latin abbreviations, and I couldn't find any when I looked. I think they have just developed as conventions, and occasionally some people do deviate. But it wouldn't be common for someone to see the Latin abbreviation and say the English translation, such as and others, for et al. Thanks again for the question. And one final interesting thing about et al. that I see some people do wrong sometimes is that you put a period only at the end of the whole thing. It's et al. period. Sometimes people put a period after the et in the middle, but that isn't right because the full Latin phrase is et ali, meaning and others. So et is a whole Latin word that means and. It's not an abbreviation for anything. And finally, before we get to the familect, I have a correction from the episode we did on TV language a few weeks ago. We called CDC and WMD acronyms, but technically they're initialisms. An initialism is an abbreviation you pronounce by spelling out the letters, such as CDC, and AM, and PM, which I just mentioned in the last segment. An acronym is an abbreviation you pronounce like a word, such as NATO, NASA, and IBID. And both initialisms and acronyms are included in the bigger category of abbreviations. We actually did a segment about the differences about a year ago, so thanks to the caller who must have been paying attention. Next, here's Karen with a Familect story. Hi, Mignon. This is Karen from Kansas. I wanted to tell you about our family. It's Huna, and Huna is a spoon, and it has always been a spoon. And I found out 
much later in life that it's because my dear mother, who has been gone for many, many years, couldn't say the word spoon when she was little. So she always called it a hunga. So when I was growing up, it was a hunga. And when my children were growing up, it was a hunga. And now my grandchildren, guess what? Call a spoon a hunga. Thanks. Thanks, Karen. That's pretty amazing that Huna has continued for so many generations. If you want to share the story of your family act, a word your family and only your family uses, call the voicemail line at 833214GIRL. I know some of you must still have them. Call from a nice, quiet place and we might play it on the show. Grammar Girl is a quick and dirty tips podcast. Thanks to our audio engineer, Nathan Sams, and our director of podcasts, Adam Cecil, who prefers a can of soda to fountain soda or soda in a glass or plastic bottle. <laughs> Thanks to our digital operations specialist, Holly Hutchings, our ad operations specialist, Morgan Christensen, and our marketing associate, Davina Tomlin. And I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. That's all. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.